Good evening. It's good to see each one here tonight. And uh, as most of you know, I like to have series going on uh, from time to time. And uh, for quite some time, I've thought about and have been asked to deal with some difficulties and some problems that are going on in our local area. You know, as Paul wrote the Galatians, in Galatians 1 and verse 7, he says, Only there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. We do have, both within and without the Lord's church, those who are troubling the church on various reasons. Uh, It is my goal over the next few weeks to preach lessons, for instance, on the Lord's Supper. We have those in our area who are teaching that not only do you not have to take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, you can take it on any day of the week. And what we want to do is to look and see what the Bible teaches on the subject. We have others who are teaching that instrumental music is nothing more than a matter of opinion or judgment, and no one should be condemned if they decide, for instance, they want to bring in a piano or a guitar and teach that's perfectly acceptable. We have those in our community who are teaching that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not a part of the New Testament. They're teaching that that's Old Testament teaching, and their effort to do so is to try to persuade us to accept the men's doctrines on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We have two issues, though, that are what I call coming from without. One is the alcohol issue, and the other is that of abortion And we're going to have to address those to make sure that we understand what God's Word teaches on that particular topic. This evening, we're going to address the topic of alcohol, and we're going to talk about drinking. And the truth is that our youth are being bombarded, and that's not a word that's chosen without great care, They're being bombarded from almost every direction to suggest that alcohol is something good and something they ought to want to partake in. They're being shown television commercials where the devil is able to persuade by means of very slick commercial advertisements. And they're shown people who are young, they're shown being happy, and they're drinking their wine coolers, they're drinking their hard cider, they're drinking their beers, their wine... And in doing so, they're just supposedly going to live a happy, joyful, peaceful life. Sadly, however, they're also being told by those, even some of our own city leaders here, that it's not a big deal, that there's nothing bad with it. And so what we have, are facing here, and I want to be as uh, upfront and as uh, direct as possible, Recently, on September the 23rd, on Tuesday evening, our board of mayor and aldermen here voted on the first reading of an ordinance. And what that first reading would be is is that there would be a removal of any and all restrictions of where a place that sells alcohol could be placed. At present, it has to be 300 feet from a church, a school, or a kindergarten. But they're wanting to remove that. So, for instance, if this ordinance passes, there could be a a tavern sitting right next to the building on this side, right across the road from us. It could be right next to the Central Church of Christ. It could be right next to any of those. 
And they will be voting on it again, according to the mayor yesterday, on October the 14th. I would like to encourage everyone here, whether you live in the city or whether you live in the county, if you're a member of this congregation, to be there at that meeting. And I'd like for you to encourage you to look these men in the eye and tell them that you disagree with this. Um, and I think the numbers would at least have some impact upon that. You see, the passage that Brother Robert read for us from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is excess or which is dissipation. He says, But be filled with the Spirit. You see, Ephesus was a cosmopolitan type city as well. They were the kind of people who had folks from all kinds of backgrounds of life. And they believed that to imbibe in and embrace wine was something desirable. And he says, don't be drunk with wine. There's a better alternative, and that is to be filled with the Spirit. Earlier in that same chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It is my obligation before God to be able to teach the truth on this subject, and I intend to do so. I think it's important also that we as Christians be able to see the full aspect or the full spectrum, if you will, of what this does. This past week I read a book written by a fellow preacher. His name is Roger Jackson. The title of his book is called Alcoholism. Brother Jackson for many years was a closet alcoholic preaching for congregations all over the South, Mississippi, Arkansas, uh, Alabama, and Tennessee. Brother Jackson was secretly on the weekends and at night getting drunk and all the time continuing to preach in local churches. Brother Jackson ended up with two DUIs, was arrested, learned better, and has written this book to try to persuade brethren of how to deal with an alcoholic. And I'm going to mention some of his material as I go through. Here's what I'd like to cover tonight. I'd like to talk about some selected texts. I just want to choose a few passages of Scripture to focus our attention for just a moment. Second of all, I want to talk about some serious trouble that we're facing, real serious trouble, when we have people who are alcoholics. And then number three, I want us to talk about standing up for the truth. If you will, open your Bible with me to the book of Micah, to chapter 2 and verse 11. Micah chapter 2 and verse 11. Micah was the prophet to the common man. Isaiah was the prophet to the people in the hallowed halls of leadership. You need both. You need some who can be able to reach the people in positions of authority, but you also need some people who will address the average, everyday man. Micah, as a prophet in chapter 2 and verse 11, said, If a man should walk in a false spirit and lie, speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and of strong drink, even he would be a prattler of this people. You see, even in biblical times, there were some weak-kneed 
people without any conviction who would speak and tell the people anything they wanted to hear. There are a lot of religious people today who believe that drinking a little wine or drinking an occasional beer or two or being a social drinker is something that's okay. And um, I've even had other preachers tell me in the last month that for quite a time that they were drinkers in the closet as well. And I remember one of them was, had made the statement to me that the church where he was preaching at, he was a song leader at that time, that the new preacher moved in, and he told him, he says, yeah, when we go out and we play golf, said, I drink a beer or two. And he says, and you're our song leader? And you're, our, you're the best that we can do in this congregation because you're willing to drink? Brethren, we've got to be clear on this subject. We can't be wishy-washy. We can't say, well, a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. I want to begin at verse 20 going through verse 24. I want to describe to you a situation where a person becomes acquainted with alcohol and its effects and the result of it. We all know about Noah how he got upon the ark, how he came upon off of the ark, and everything was new and fresh. As you begin reading with me in verse 20, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Just make a few quick observations with me. Noah began to be a farmer. He didn't know what the effects of this was, evidently to this point, so he plants a vineyard. He's got grapes. But evidently as they are harvested and the drink of those harvest, and they were evidently fermented and he became drunk. What did he do? He uncovered himself in his tent. You know, uncovering yourself is not something that a person ought to do where others could see your nakedness. You ought to cover yourself up. But it wasn't just that. It says that when he awoke in verse 24, he knew what his younger son had done to him. Done to him. Some sort of vile act had taken place. Would Noah have done that in his right mind? Would he allow it to have been done to him in his right mind? Not at all. You see, people who are under the influence of alcohol will do things that they would not even think about doing if they were sober. If you go with me to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15, you will see that this evidently is a motivation for some people. He says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing your bottle to him, even to make him drunk, that you may look upon his nakedness. 
You want me to tell you what happens to a lot of young women? They're taken out by a young man and he places uh, some kind of liquor in front of her and he puts a little more liquor in front of her and a little more liquor in front of her. And next thing you know, she is inebriated and he takes advantage of her. And in doing so, he has violated exactly what Habakkuk 2.15 was talking about. Something that a young woman would say, no, you're not going to do that to me. But in her drunken stupor, she agrees, she cooperates. Brother Brian made reference this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 3. When Uriah came back, David got him drunk. Why did he get him drunk? To get him to do something that he would not do otherwise. Folks, alcohol makes fools out of people. It causes them to do things that they would not do in their right mind. If you will turn with me now to the book of Proverbs. Let's go to chapter 20 and verse 1. And then we'll jump over to chapter 23 for just a few moments. Chapter 20, verse 1. Solomon does not mince words when he describes the influence of alcohol. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a broiler. And whoever errs thereby is not wise. A mocker? You turn on your television and watch people who are play acting, who are drunk. They're humorous. I can't tell you how many times as a teenager I laughed at drunks. You know why? Because they stumble upon themselves. I remember a friend of mine who got out of his truck who was drunk. He was driving drunk. He fell forward, hit his head right in the door, knocked a big dent in the door. And he reached in the glove compartment of his car and pulled out a Band-Aid and put a Band-Aid on the door as if that was somehow going to make it better. Made a fool out of him. It's a broiler. You put a little alcohol in a man and he'll fight anybody. Whoever there heirs thereby is not wise. Folks, when you say something is not wise, you're saying it's foolish. Go with me now to chapter 23. There's two little sections I want to look at, verses 20 and 21, and then verses 29 through 35. And again, I hope you understand that I'm certainly not exhausting the information within these verses. Do not mix with wine bibbers or gluttonous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. I want you to notice the first part of verse 20. Do not mix with wine bibbers. Young folks, when you find yourself in the company of people who are going to drink, excuse yourself. You know why? Because sooner or later you're going to get in a car with one of them who's going to have a little bit to drink. And uh, Brother Rogers' book that I made reference to earlier, in his book he pointed out whenever he got a little alcohol in him, he thought that was when he was the best driver. He said, I thought it was Mario Andretti. Don't mix with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Drop down with me to verse 29 now in that same context. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? 
Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look upon the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, and you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They hurt, struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake that I shall seek another drink? Folks, you just think with me for just a moment. Why in the world would a person repeat hurtful behavior? You know, if, um, if I find myself every time I put my hand down and take a hammer and hit my finger, and I say, ouch, that hurts. You know what I do? I stop doing that. Anytime you find yourself doing something that hurts, you quit. Except for when you drink. You see, because you get to verse 35 and he says, When shall I wake? I shall seek another drink. It's so addictive that a person will do something and embrace something that they know that's going to hurt them. Who has woe? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? People wake up from their drunken stupor with bruises and broken bones and they don't know why they have them or where they got them. Go with me to chapter 31 now, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. We often read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, but you've got to remember the first part of that chapter has some very key passages as well. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they forget the law and pervert the justice for the afflicted. It's not for kings. It's not for princes. And it's not for you either. If you will turn with me, I've got to move along to Isaiah Let's go to chapter 5 for just a moment. We're going to look at chapter 5 and chapter 28. And I want to begin with verse 11 of chapter 5, and then we'll look at verses 22 and 23. Isaiah 5, verse 11 is where we'll begin. You see, Isaiah was the parallel prophet to Micah that we mentioned earlier. And he says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning." that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them, the harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute, and the wine are in their feast. But they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of His hands. And we're going to drop down to verse 22, but for pause just a minute. Woe to those people Whenever you see the word woe in the Bible, it always indicates 
that person is in a pitiful spiritual condition. Verse 12 says, they do not regard the work of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Anybody who would promote and encourage drinking does not regard the work of the Lord. Look at verses 22 and 23. Woe to the mighty men at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant at mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the justice from the righteous man. You see, people who are so inebriated, they can't even make wise, righteous judgments. And when they don't make wise, righteous judgments, those who are good are deprived of that righteous that is due to them. Turn with me now very quickly to chapter 28. Verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look at verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 23, or 28, 1 through 3. I think you can start developing a picture after a while that the Bible is really plain on this subject. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower which is at the head of verdant valleys. To those who are overcome with wine, behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like the tempest of hell and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring down to the earth with his hand the crown of pride. The drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled underfoot. God said, I am going to take these people and I am going to yank them down to be tread upon. Drop down with me to verse 7. But they have also erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. And the priest and the prophet have erred through uh, intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. He talks about the prophet and the priest. These are supposed to be the holy people. These are supposed to be the people you look to for an example for God's word. And he says, they err. They're, they're not seeing a vision from God. They're seeing the dreams of their intoxication. But verse 8 says, For all the tables are full of vomit and filth. Oh, but see, that's the other side that the commercials do not show you. Oh, yeah, I see the cute little frogs that say Budweiser. But let me tell you what else I have seen, folks. I have gone to the hospital, to the emergency room, and I have walked in with families who have lost a son or a father, and had to stand with them crying and say, why, 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 when an intoxicated driver killed them? I want to grab these aldermen and the mayor, and I want to drag them with me at 2 o'clock in the morning when you have to go and stand before a grieving family. You see, you don't see the ugly side 
When you have to pick somebody up because they've urinated in their pants or defecated on themselves. Or they're laying with their face in vomit. Oh yeah, that's what a drunk looks like. That's not what the commercial is going to show you. If the commercial showed you the truth, you'd never buy that poison. You get to the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, 13 and 14 says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He said as a Christian, you don't do these things. In fact, you don't even make any provision for it. I could go to Galatians 5, 19 through 21 where he talks about the works of the flesh and about how drunkenness is in the middle with revelries and the like. He said those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You mean if I am an alcoholic, if I am a, a drinker, that I can't go to heaven? That is exactly what the Bible teaches. Exactly what it teaches. For just a moment, I'd like to talk to you about some serious trouble. Anyone who has had an alcoholic in their family, and I have, knows the trouble that it brings not only to the family, but also to the community. Brother Jackson's book, in chapter 8, is titled, The Untold Story of Alcoholism. And in this chapter, he talks about who gets hurt when there's an alcoholic in the family. And let me tell you who he said gets hurt. I'm actually not taking all of his. I've just adapted a few of these. God is hurt. People don't think about how they grieve God when they do wrong. Do you remember when the thoughts of man had become only evil continually? And it says that God was grieved that he had made man? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10 says that therefore I was angry with their generation and they always go astray in their hearts. God is hurt when we become alcoholics. Spouses are hurt. Brother Jackson describes how badly he hurt his wife. How he lied to her how he took money that they needed to be able to provide for the needs of their family, money that he could have bought his wife some nice clothes with. He described how much it cost to have a DUI. And if I'm not mistaken, it was about $25,000 is what it's going to cost you if you're a DUI. Children are hurt. They do without many of the necessities of life so their parents can... Drink it up selfishly. And let me tell you, they have to suffer the indignity of being the child of a drunk. The larger family is hurt as well. You get a drunk in your family and the whole family gets a bad name. How many of you remember Jimmy Carter's brother Billy? In a drunken stupor most time. In fact, they named a beer after him, Billy Beer. Everybody perhaps has had one in their family and, you know, you really, you try to say, well, that's not what I do. 
But they hurt the family name. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches in loving favor than silver and gold. And the church is hurt. You know, when we have some of our own who goes and does this, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Therefore putting away lying and let each one speak the truth through his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We suffer one. The community is hurt. You don't believe that people who drink are poor community people? Come visit my house. I'll let you walk the ditch line with me and pick up the beer cans that are thrown in my yard. I don't know if it's because I'm so adamantly against beer that they all try to throw them in my yard. But uh, I usually try to carry a bag with me so I can pick them up and put them back. I don't want anybody to see me carrying a beer can in my hand. You do know that it costs you. Police protection, incarceration, courts. Oh, it's, it's expensive. Finally, you're hurt. You hurt yourself. I could talk about the health issues. I have a first cousin who has suffered several times from pancreatitis due to his excessive alcoholism. And by the way, that man was once an elder in the Lord's church. The damage to the liver, the damage to the brain. You could go on and on. And what damage you do to whatever hope that you have for a reputation for good Talk to Brother Jackson. Here's a man who's preached for several large congregations. He'd been on several lectureships. And now he suffers the consequences for his choices. Yes, he's, he's clean and sober, but he is still suffering the effects of it. What are we going to do? Are we going to just simply wave our hands and say, well, that's the way the world is, and we're not going to say anything or do anything? pointed out to you, Ephesians 5 and verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, God really wants His people to stand up and say, This is not right. We won't support it. We won't encourage it. In Ezekiel 22 verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God said I was looking around for somebody who would stand up at a particular time and speak out and say no. Jeremiah 5 verse 1 says, Run to and fro through the city. See if you can find anybody. Do you remember what happened when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land? After they'd gone past Mount Nebo, there's right there before you cross the Jordan, a place that's called Shittim in the older translation. It actually means acacia grove, where acacia trees grow. And that's where the Moabites tempted the children of Israel and they went out and they committed fornication and God's anger broke out against them and God was looking for who would stand up and do you remember Phinehas the son of Eleazar the son of Aaron stood and took a spear and he drove it through the man and the woman who were committing fornication and stayed the anger of the Lord Numbers 25 verse 11 God praises Phinehas for his standing up 
But you see what happens to too many of us. We're not much better than the people described in Romans chapter 1. We just somehow want to say, well, I may not be a drinker, but I don't care if everybody else does. I want you to listen very carefully to Romans 1 and verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's not just the fact that they did it, but they approve of other people who would practice them as well. You see, the Lord's church is at war. Oh, somebody says, oh, I don't, you don't need to be using words like that. We're studying 1 Timothy on Sunday mornings. Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare. You see, we as Christians are to try to face this world and say to them, there is a better way. And I'll go back to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You want me to tell you why people drink? They're trying to numb their minds. They're trying to salve their consciences. They're trying to do something to get rid of their worthlessness. I know that sounds really bad, but that's, you know, you may drink the first time to try to fit into a group. You may drink the second time to be social. But sooner or later, people drink to get drunk, and they drink to get drunk because they want to deal with their difficulties in mind. They're trying to find some pleasure in life. And let me tell you, you'll never find real pleasure. You'll never find real meaning in the bottom of a bottle. But you will find it. And being a faithful child of God. Your life will then take on some new meaning. And you can get up in the morning and you can say, oh, it's a beautiful day. I have some great things in mind. I have some great plans. And with God as my helper, I will do that. You may be here tonight and you are not a child of God. You may in your past be a person who has embraced alcohol and... You would not be the only one. But let me tell you, God can forgive the drinker just like He can forgive the liar. He can forgive the adulterer. And you can become a New Testament Christian. And every sin in your past can be washed away. Acts twenty two sixteen. When Ananias looks at Saul, he says, Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But folks, the majority of us here tonight are Christians. And there may be some erring Christians. And if you are one of the erring Christians, whether it is with alcohol or any other sin, we are members of one another. We don't hate you. We hate the sin. We love your soul. And 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter in your life is whether or not you get to go to heaven. Would you come while we stand and sing?